What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Sunday League Screamers podcast. I'm your host of today's show, Steve McCutcheon, with my two co-hosts, Michael Nolan and Vito Anazelli. Say hello, fellas. What's going on, Steve? What's going on? Hello. Good evening. How you doing? Feeling good. Feeling good. We uh, got another great show for you guys today. But before that, please take a moment, hit the bell, subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Also follow us on Twitter at the SL Screamers underscore pod. Before we get started, though, today we are running a new series. It's our inaugural episode. We're starting a show of where we're interviewing Premier League uh, fan bases on this side of the Atlantic. So without further ado, we want to welcome over Paul Dorsey of the show, The Stateside Seagulls. Welcome. Woo! How's it going, guys? <laughs> good. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Thank Pretty you for taking the time to join us. Seriously. Yeah, of course. Have, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if you want real quick, Paul, just tell us a little bit about yourself and for, for everyone listening as well. Yeah. So I'm, as you guys mentioned, I'm Paul Dorsey and I founded and I'm kind of the social media guy behind Stateside Seagulls. So we're the uh, Brighton and Hove Albion supporters group here in the United States. Um, I guess I started the, uh, the Stateside Seagulls account in 2016 and, you know, kind of have kept that up since the championship days up until you know, we got promoted to the Premier League, and since then, it's just been kind of a whirlwind, just kind of figuring out where we fit in the Premier League, and then hopefully this year, we can push up to uh, Champions League, but. <laughs> well, I, love I love the ambition. I mean, we're already top top six now, so. <laughs> so, question for you, Paul. I mean, obviously, you said you just started following, or not started following, but you've been following Brighton since the championship days. How did you end up following or even finding Brighton in the first place? What was that story like? I'm sure we and a bunch of other listeners would be curious to kind of understand that story in general. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I really started as a, I like soccer, everybody around me likes soccer. Mm-hmm. So I have to kind of follow this in some way, somehow. Um, but I've always, you know, being born and raised in Baltimore, I guess I've always liked an underdog. I've always liked, you know, that. Mm-hmm. that scrappy terrible Orioles team so it was kind of you know, a natural a natural thing to to like not like not like Man U or Man City mm-hmm. or Chelsea or something like that but yeah for Brighton I'm not really sure I can't remember exactly why tag along with Brighton in the beginning mm-hmm. um but I, I think it was really around the 2012-2013 season I just kind of casually started following the team um, he would just check scores on like the BBC website and things like that, just kind of following along. Um, but that 2013 season, we, um, played Crystal Palace in the playoff semifinal and just the intensity of the rivalry. I didn't really understand it then. You know, I'd never watched a game. I didn't even watch a game that season. I was just listening mm-hmm. on radio, but, you know, being on Twitter and kind of being in that community, having those, you know, the Brighton supporters actually kind of involve me in things so I would like talk about the team and they would actually have a conversation with me instead of just kind of being like oh you're just some fan whatever that was really something that was really you know nice to me it was like I'm actually part of this community even though I'm Mm -hmm. you know across an ocean and you know obviously you know we didn't do very well in that in that semi-final palace got promoted we don't like to talk about it but (laughs) that was kind of that moment was it, it, it sounds really strange but we lost and you know, obviously having never even seen the team play a game, I mm-hmm. felt emotion like with the Orioles or, you know, I'm a Saints fan too. Don't ask. It's a, it's a long story, but <laughs> um, that was fantastic, by the way. Um, 
it was just it was never that emotional thing like obviously when the saints won the super bowl that was one thing but with the orioles i'd just gotten used to you know okay they lost again whatever with brighton it was like i was on campus in college and i had to just pace around campus like (laughs) pissed off i was like what the hell i've never seen this team play i barely even liked the team a week ago yeah and i'm just like emotionally just distraught over this what the hell just happened and it's just been that for me for the past i don't know what is it almost 10 years now yeah i think that's That's one of the best parts of the game too the the emotion that it evokes in the supporters base is unlike any other sport uh in america no matter where you're located yeah absolutely what um what was it like following a championship team this is going to sound kind of like a silly question but like we're two chelsea fans me and Vito. mike's a uh, tottenham fan so obviously we uh I like to say I followed before the oil money and stuff like that. Uh, uh, to, uh, to be fair, Tottenham can be a championship team sometimes. <laughs> also true. Also true. At least you're an Arsenal fan. So. <laughs> yeah, they get shit on a lot on this podcast, actually. But um, you're following a championship yeah. team, especially like 10 years ago, like it, TV rights and all that kind of stuff, it's not easy it, to like keep up with. It was very hard. So obviously, you know, back in, back in that day, I kind of had to have like a Premier League team that I would, kind of tag along with so i would watch and that was even before everything was on nbc so Mm -hmm. i think the first couple seasons that i was watching it was you know maybe one or two games kind of like the championship is now yeah so it was like one or two games a weekend on espn and then everything else was kind of just you know following along anyway Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that much different at the beginning but then you know when nbc comes in and the premier league games all of them are on tv it's a very different thing watching and trying to follow a championship team. So, you know, I started following Brighton, you know, kind of part-time in 2012, full-time 2013. And I don't, I, I think that the first match that I actually watched live, not on streams that, you know, of (laughs) of questionable origin, um, I was probably like an FA cup game in 2015 Mm -hmm. But other than that, it was just following along on Twitter, following, you know, listening to the BBC Sussex radio broadcast. It was a lot of just kind of scouring the internet to see what's going on with the team. And that was something that, you know, it feels so far to me now. I can watch every game and it just doesn't feel it. it, it, Sometimes it doesn't feel real. It's like Mm -hmm. that it was so hard to get a game. And like when we got promoted to the premier league, that game, the promotion game, I had to watch on some, some person in the stadium was streaming the game <laughs> on Facebook and I had to watch it that way. Nice. And that is now, some serious commitment. Yeah. And now yeah, I can all watch <laughs> every game whenever I want. It's just so bizarre. So when you guys got promoted, is that when the uh, Twitter, Twitter account started for you? So I started it that, let's see. So yeah, I started it in 2016. We got promoted in 2017, 2018. So okay, okay. I start. yeah, it was like the season before we got promoted. Is that when it really took off? Was like around that time frame? Yeah, definitely. People, so yeah, yeah, I think that when we got promoted, we had like 75 followers. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Like I, when I started, it was just like, I knew there were kind of pockets of fans mm-hmm. over here. It was mostly like expats who moved from yeah. Brighton to the mm-hmm. States for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that same base for the first season or so. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously we get picked up yeah. by, you know, 
the PLN USA Twitter accounts and people start following us. Mm-hmm. People start saying like, oh, there actually are Brighton fans over here. <laughs> Obviously, there are games on TV. So, you know, kind of the casual yeah. fans will pick up Brighton. So that definitely was part of the explosion. And then obviously, as we've, you know, stuck around and, and done pretty well, we've just exploded in numbers. Nice. Yeah. I mean, speaking of doing pretty well, um, a lot of teams that come up to the Premier League, it's, it's, you, it's kind of hit or miss sometimes, right? You either you have a Leicester City that, that do, you know, amazing things, or you, sometimes you get mm-hmm. Norwich City who, you know, kind of fall by the wayside and head back to the championship. Um, what are your thoughts on like the how you've done in the transfer market coming up from the Premier League and being able to sign players like Adam Milano, Leonardo Trossard, Danny Welbeck, Curacello this year? I mean, you guys have really, it seems, seems to me like you guys really tried to put it all on the line. Like, and that's got to be great as a supporter. Yeah, it's really awesome to see re- how far the club has come in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even, you know, in the past couple of years, it's been, very much a you know kind of rely on the academy get players in through the academy and and hope that they can do the job and i feel like that's kind of what's been happening this year mm-hmm. so we got kukurea we got um we got Mwepu from salzburg but there's been a lot of just you know getting players through the academy taking players out on loan like ben white was yeah. at leeds before he came back to brighton for the season last year and now he's out at arsenal and really happy about that 50 million pounds right now. Um, <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just been a lot of that type of investment strategy and, you know, not necessarily spending a whole bunch of money on, you know, I think that that was the big thing this summer was, are we going to sign a striker? We have to sign a striker. We didn't score goals last year. When's the striker going to come? And it never did. And that was kind of something that I think the fans, not all of the fans, but some of the fans of Brighton were, really pissed off about it was like why aren't we spending the ben white money on a big name striker and that's just not really what we do so getting kukurea and getting Mwepu in getting some players that we send back out on loan that's kind of more the brighton philosophy i think that you know getting two high number signings so you know spending money on on some players i think that's you know where we have come from in the premier league so we can spend that money but we haven't lost sight of what has worked for us in the past so getting players like you know aaron Connolly in in the starting 11 mm-hmm. on occasion you know getting players like ben white to come in from leeds and and you know play a season and then you know get some money from him and then you know sign like 10 more players that can take his place and, and really bolster the squad i think that's really kind of the strategy that we're going for. And I don't really see that, you know, signing a 30 million pound striker or more. Mm-hmm. That's just not really what we would have done. And I'm glad that we didn't, you know, blow all that money and, and you know, kind of hope that something happens that might not. So question for you. And I'm, this is just a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that money that was spent, right? And there was reports that Danny Ings <clears throat> went for what? 20, 25 million? 25, 30, somewhere in that range. Would you yeah. have taken that opportunity you know, if you were the magic wand, you could sign Ings for that money. And then you have that proven goal scorer up there. Or do you think mm-hmm. it's okay to rely on the Welbecks and the mile pays for now? At least I, I, I see it's difficult. I probably would have mm-hmm. back, you know, if I would have, first of all, if I would have known that Danny Ings would have gone for 30 million pounds, that's, that <laughs> honestly sounds like a bargain, but I, 
yeah, that's, I feel like now that it's too late and we can't do anything, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. sure, I would have spent the money, whatever. Yeah. But I think I would have, but I'm also okay with not having done that mm-hmm. because anything that we do this season, I, it really can't be any worse than we did last season. Like, Mope's <laughs> going to score more goals. Welbeck's mm-hmm. always injured, but he's going to score goals. Mm-hmm. Connolly, God only knows what he's doing, but he will be involved somehow. I think that the idea that we sent so many players out on loan mm-hmm. kind of stresses me out because we don't necessarily have that depth. But, you know, signing Danny Ings for 30 million pounds may not have been the wisest thing to do, mm-hmm. especially if we're spending money on, you know, we may not have spent any money in transfer fee to get Adam Milana in or get Danny Welbeck mm-hmm. in last year, but we're spending it in wages. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, making sure that, you know, we might not be spending money in transfer fees, but we also have a wage bill to think about. That's why we kind of offloaded a whole bunch of players this summer is because we had a massive wage bill for players who aren't playing anymore or who were, you know, on loan somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's kind of something that I was <clears throat> curious about with, we still have Jurgen Lakati on the books who kind of flamed out at FC Cincinnati on loan. And it was just like, why did we keep him around and not loan out Connolly? But that's a whole other situation. But I don't know if necessarily spending the 30 million would have, I don't know if it would have worked out and it definitely wouldn't have been, you know, it, it just, it wouldn't have fit the Brighton, mold in terms of spending that money and then also having wages on top of that well you guys have also a very specific way you play under Graham potter and that's something Mm -hmm. that we we all wanted to talk about because as a tottenham fan also obviously they tried to sign potter there was rumors and links that they Mm -hmm. were going in and out and i will say i have always since i followed brighton in the premier league admired the way they play and admire the way brighton or potter coaches in general i was curious to kind of get your thoughts on him the way he plays the coaching style. I mean, what do you see as like, you know, the, at least this season for your team and for Potter in general as like a good goal and a good reach goal to really be shooting for and just kind of opening up about that. Yeah. Well, I, I think definitely we can win the league and it's only a matter of time before we win the champions league. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously though, I, I love I absolutely love the Graham Potter style of play and especially mm-hmm. coming off Chris Hewton's kind of defensive, you know, make sure we don't lose before we actually go for a win strategy. Mm-hmm. It's very refreshing. Even when we get losses, even if we, you know, have a draw that should have been a win, that's a potential win instead of a potential mm-hmm. draw that ends up being a loss. And I, that's refreshing to see as a Brighton fan. It's like, we're actually trying to push up the table instead of, you know, save ourselves from relegation at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, a goal for us, you know, I, it's been said by Tony Bloom, the owner, it's been said by Paul Barber, everybody involved with the club. We want to be a top 10 club in the premier league at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether that's this year, five years down the line, we don't want to, you know, be that yo-yo club. We don't want to be Narch. We want to have ambition. We want to set ourselves some goals and mm-hmm. actually you know, not just be an established team, but be an established team in the top half. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily realistic this year. I know we've started out really well. Mm-hmm. We've had a relatively easy schedule so far. So that may also be, you know, kind of a factor in that. But I think that a really realistic goal is to get out of the relegation fight this year. 
So mm-hmm. for us to not have to worry about games in May, that's going to be really important for us. Um, getting you less heart attacks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, trust me. It's been very stressful. Yeah. And, I, and it's Paul. kind of just been worried about, you know, the drop, even though, you know, we play really mm-hmm. great football, we could, you know, we could score a billion goals if we really wanted to, but it just hasn't <laughs> happened. Um, but I think that this is the year that the goals finally go in and we, uh, we aren't worrying about falling down on the table. Well, Lewis Dunk, after that uh, Brentford win, he came out and said that he thinks that the team is maturing extremely well. Like he, he, in reference to the Brent game, he said that uh, that might be one that they would have lost last year, mm-hmm. but it just feels like a different team. And I mean, clearly they're a completely different team than where they were last year, to your point before. What do you think has been so different for them this year? I think it's just, I think it's just confidence. We're scoring goals. Like Neil Mopay scored, you know, scored in mm-hmm. both of the first games. And that was, I think that was just really important to get those first results, to get those wins, to get points on the board. You know, we've kind of started out well. We, you know, a couple of years ago, we beat Watford on the opening day 3 0, and then we kind of just, you know, regressed back to form. And I think that keeping up those results, having those moments of, you know, this could all fall completely, you know, completely sideways and sticking with the game plan, sticking with, you know, an idea that this is not, you know, a, a, I don't know, this isn't going to, you know, fall apart on us because we're, we're playing poorly. It's because we're not, you know, taking the opportunities that we have in front of us. That's really kind of the biggest thing that I think has happened this year is that, you know, obviously it's really early. It's only been four games, but we have the belief that the play on the field can actually turn into results instead of just, you know, it's really good play, but we can't win. It's really good play, but the goals aren't going in. It's really good play, but, you know, it's just not happening for us. We're playing really well and we're getting results. We're playing really well and things are kind of working out. And that's just, that confidence, I think, is just bleeding through the team right now. It's just really exciting to see players who were kind of, like Neil Mope, I think, is the, the best example of that. He was just, it, it. you could feel the tension last year because you knew that he wanted those goals. You knew that he knew that he could do it, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't happening for him. You could just kind of feel that just that anger, that angst of just like, why isn't it going in? It's not going in. I, I can't score. It's just not going to happen. And that kind of bled through the year. Like, okay, if he doesn't feel like he can score, then he won't score. Yeah. And this year he's scoring and he's getting involved. Even if he's not scoring, he's getting involved in setting up attacking plays. He's getting involved in, you know, setting up opportunities for other players on the field. And I think that that's really important is just having that confidence that even if, you're not having your best day. You can help somebody else have their best day. And it's, it's just really important to have that belief and that unity togetherness in the team mm-hmm. to feel like you can actually turn those results into, mm-hmm. into points on the board. Yeah. You definitely see it on the field. Speaking of some of the other players you were kind of just mentioning besides Malpe, I, I personally, I'm a big fan of Tariq Lampy, Lampy, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that correctly. And I'm wondering from your perspective, obviously you're a little bit more connected. Who are some of the younger players that you're excited for that you want to see kind of make a breakthrough or make that next step or that next leap this season? Obviously, like I, I'm a big Lamptey fan. I'm a big Basuma fan, but 
I don't know if you guys in a full transparency will be able to keep them, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see Robert Sanchez get a full season under okay. his belt. So last year, Matt Ryan started the season. He was our keeper for the entirety of our stay in the Premier League and kind of fell by the wayside. Robert Sanchez came in and absolutely stole the show. And I'm really excited to see him get a full season under his belt, see if, you know, he can actually keep it up. He's kept it up really well so far this season. I feel like he's definitely kind of our goalkeeper of the future. And we have a really good goal, goalkeeping squad, really good goalkeeping coaches. So I think that that's something that's definitely something that I'm really excited about. Um, he's only 23 also. He's yeah, young. he's really young. He's in the Spanish national team. He got his first cap the other day. So he's, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy to think about where he's come from in the past couple seasons um one player that i kind of he's not playing for brighton this season is on loan but mm-hmm. really excited to see where he goes in the future is at andy zakiri okay. um he scored for brighton against cardiff in the uh the carabao cup right before the transfer window he got loaned out um to augsburg but he's somebody who can really he's been playing in kind of the Graham Potter style he's been playing in like 20 different positions on the field for those who aren't familiar myself definitely what role does he play so he's yeah so he's (laughs) a forward supposed to be he's supposed to be you know kind of a striker Mm -hmm. winger type of situation but he's Mm -hmm. been playing because Graham Potter likes to tinker with things and keep everybody on their toes he's played you know left wing back midfield forward it's kind of been all over the place, but he, especially in that Cardiff game showed that he will, a can play in any role. He can just, he wants to be out on the field no matter what the situation mm-hmm. is and B he can score goals. And that's something that a, we really need because we didn't score goals last year. And B it's something that he's really young. He didn't really, he came from Lausanne. So he wasn't really a high quality signing. He didn't come from the era to and he came from, the B league in Switzerland and everybody was like, ah, is he actually even going to play for us? Is he going to be on the U23s and he can score, he can play anywhere he wants, anywhere that we put him out on the field. And I'm really excited to see, you know, after he gets his, his feet wet in the Bundesliga, if he comes back into the premier league and actually can put everything together and, and score the goals for us. Um, to your point, Mike, I think that, you know, uh, Tariq Lamptey is going to be an absolute stud. He's been injured for a yeah. little while now, but, yeah, once he do once back, he comes back, he's soon? supposed to be. He was supposed to be back. I thought I it was guess maybe he's on the bench. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure. I mean, he might be back this weekend. It could be a couple of weeks more. I think that is mm-hmm. there's been his injuries kind of like gone at, in and out. It's been like, oh, he's going to come back, and then it's like, oh, now we're going to sit him for a while, and then it's just kind of been back and forth with that. But hopefully, he's coming back very soon because the pace and just the yeah, he's electric. Just, he, he oh really my gosh! Is. Yeah, the the pizzazz he brings to the pitch is just unbelievable. Coming from a Chelsea supporter, where he used to, you know, play his craft, that one hurt. <laughs> <See you>. So, <laughs> so just great, great addition for you. I actually found it funny when you were talking about uh, Malpai last year with his uh, uh, finishing ability and everything like that. I'm like, it happens at big clubs too, man. We signed Werner for about 50 million now. I, I watched the same yeah. exact thing you probably saw the entire season. Don't forget about yeah. Morata. Yeah. Oh, geez, don't go there. 
But um, yeah, no, dude, I, I honestly, I, I love everything you're saying right now. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty cool to talk to someone that's not typically like, I feel like most guys I meet that are fans in, in the area, at least, or like when I went to college and stuff, it's mostly like a big six, top six club, like Liverpool, Chelsea, Man U, anyone along those lines. So it's always nice to hear from someone that's, you know, down near mid table or you guys have been fighting relegation in the last two seasons, I think. Well, both yeah. years you finished in like 16th or 17th. Like yeah, we've been, we've been in and around the relegation fight every single season we've been in the Premier League. And it's been extremely stressful, but, you know, <laughs> I feel like we're kind of, on the upward trajectory, whereas, you know, Absolutely. a team like Burnley, it seems like they're kind of yo-yoing between 16th and 17th, and it's just never mm-hmm. actually going to happen that they get relegated. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice to be going upward instead of kind of stagnating and kind of falling. I mean, the stats are there for you guys. I mean, the XG, I'm assuming you follow that or you've heard of it. I, mean, I, I have heard way too much of that in the past <laughs> year, trust me. <laughs> I mean, to that point, though, it, the opportunities are there. So it's not like you guys aren't creating the chances. It's just that one missing link to that. Yeah. Point and and to your point earlier, yeah. To your point earlier, I think that we had, you know, 0.19 XG in the win this past weekend. And that's another game that we absolutely, first of all, would not have had that low mm. of an XG last year. And mm. last year we would have lost it like 2 1 or 1 mm. 0. And this year, we're putting all the pieces together. The defense has always been something that we've had. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorted all the way around for the past, I don't know, 10 years that I've been a fan. Yeah. Our defense has been outstanding. It's just putting the ball in the back of the net on our side of the field. And I think that that's finally actually <laughs> happening this season. I, I hope that I'm not talking too soon, but mm-hmm. I, I think that I, you know, I, I don't think that we're necessarily going to finish in sixth, I don't think this is going to be where Brighton stay, but mm. top 10, I think, is definitely a, a realistic target. Would that I, be I mean, what you, you said needs to be improved most so far about the opening four games? Because, I mean, we can sing Brighton's praises all day. You guys look fantastic every time. Even the game you lose against Everton, you absolutely dominated. I think we're very unfortunate mm-hmm. not to get points from that. Um, so would you say that the finishing is your number one, or do you have any other anything else that you think the side needs to be improving on? Yeah, I think that, and this was kind of something that I was noticing this past weekend, especially, but, it, you know, it's been kind of a thing the past four games. And that's just going to be kind of par for the course in the beginning of the season anyway. It's just the sloppiness, I think, has been a big thing for us. We can keep the ball out of the back of the net on our side of the field, but putting ourselves in those positions where a team might take advantage of a bad pass mm-hmm. or just kind of lackadaisical play, mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, in the in the game this past weekend, I was just like, waiting for the goal to be scored against us because we just kept i mean obviously brentford are known for their pressing they're going to keep the press on you you saw it against arsenal in the first game of the season Mm -hmm. they just kept putting the pressure on arsenal and just eventually the Mm -hmm. cracks formed and they scored goals and that was kind of what i was anticipating was going to happen this past weekend with us was that they keep pressing us they keep making us make mistakes and if we you know I, i think that robert sanchez had a couple of you know difficult passes to get out of the back and I was just waiting for one of those passes to end up in a Brentford in you know in in the Brentford goal but I think that that's kind of the biggest thing and obviously that's against Brentford they're going to play like that but that's been something that we had against Everton against Burnley was just that we had some moments in the game where we just didn't really seem to get all the pieces in in gear and it just kind of it's it's stressful to, to think because we play out of the back all the time and if we make one bad pass it could just 
turn out into a disaster. So that's something I think we really need to kind of get cleaned up. Obviously, if we can get that cleaned up, if we can get the goals, we can go anywhere this year. I mean, I think that's the biggest difference for you guys, though, too. And you mentioned earlier, Paul, that you had a little bit easier schedule. Like, you're not facing someone like Norwich who had, you know, a couple of top six teams right off the bat and everything. But you, know, you had Burnley come back win. Watford, you pretty much dominated 2-0. Uh, Everton game, I mean, it could have went either way, but I, th- I thought that was a proper result, at least for that one. And then Brentford taking the 1-0 one away. It feels to me that the games that are winnable or the points are, are there, even if it's a draw, you guys are maximizing that against the lower tier teams in the league. And I think that's your biggest yeah. thing where in years past where you guys just, like you said, you either drew, you lost and you, you left field in the game. Like you missed out on something, but not mm-hmm. this year. And you have a great test this upcoming week against Leicester. I think it's a great one for you guys because somewhere at least table wise, you're, you're right there with them right now. So mm-hmm. kind of, if you start getting a result against someone like that, I don't, I don't think, I mean, definitely top 10, but I don't, I don't see a, you know, a seventh place Europa conference thing out of the question. They're out of form right now, too, a little bit. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they no. are. Good time to play. We, we do yeah. love playing up to big teams. And <laughs> in past seasons, we've always played down to the player, mm-hmm. to the teams mm-hmm. around us. So it's kind of actually a little surprising that we've done so well so far, because in years past, we would have probably maybe gotten four points out of these out of these matches because we just love to kind of match the mm-hmm. game that we're in. Um. And so I think this is a really, like you said, it's a really good test to see, A, if, is this where we are? Are we at the Leicester City level? But then B, are we taking this like we're taking like a Brentford game where we know that that's a newly promoted team? Are we going to kind of match their intensity? Or are we going to take this like we belong with Leicester? This is going to be our game. You know, where, where do we see ourselves on the table? And where do we see ourselves talent-wise and skill-wise and, and you know, form-wise? Mm-hmm. do you guys do you think you've bulked up enough over the past transfer into that i know we talked about that a little earlier with the striker thing and stuff but do you think everywhere else around the field defense midfield do you guys are good enough to go like the distance because obviously suspensions injuries all that kind of stuff wear and tear on you later on in the season yeah there's been you know obviously i mean it seems like it seems it seems like it's every year with the injuries it's just kind of exacerbated this year with with welbeck hurt lampty hurt march has been kind of in mm-hmm. and out um so the depth, I think that, you know, having so many players go out on loan or go out in the transfer market has kind of been stressful because I think we have, like, if you look at the Premier League stats of, like, the players coming and going, like, we have, like, 30 players out and maybe, like, four Jeez. or five in. But it's a lot of players that never played or, on, or going out on loan, so they're still with us. And it's a little stressful to see that and then see all the injuries that we have and all the players that are kind of out of form or, you know, whatever. And... I think that we have the players in and around the squad that can get it done depth, obviously to keep sustaining this growth and the start that we've had. It gets a little stressful when for the Brentford game, we have two keepers on the bench because in a COVID situation, we had two players out this weekend because of COVID distancing. And we also have players that are injured. So it's kind of, you know, when you see two keepers on the bench because we have to make up the numbers, it's like, okay, do we really have the depth? But then you have to remember, you know, they're not actually injured. They just can't play because of COVID. So it's not like we're, yeah. they're out for a long time. It's just they're out for a game, but it looks worse than it is. Um, but, you know, with Shane Duffy coming back in, I think that he's somebody that we didn't really even think that he was going to be on the team at all ever again. And he comes back in and he's 
pretty much the best player that we have right now. Um, so that's kind of been one piece of the puzzle that was missing or was kind of stressful that has kind of seemed to come back around. Um, so yeah, I think that we definitely have the players in and around the squad that can get the job done. It's just making sure that they actually stay fit and then seeing what we can do if things do go awry. Obviously, there's still the January window mm-hmm. where we can hopefully maybe make up the numbers or, you know, if we do decide, you know, what the hell will sign Danny Ings Jr., then <laughs> Not a bad hopefully, idea. <laughs> hopefully we can get somebody in January. Okay. Very cool. Couple rapid fire questions for you. You ready? Yep. All right. So Brighton's top goal scorer, who will it be? Neil Mopai. Top assist. Pascal Gross. Player of the year. Shane Duffy. Okay. Defender of the year, probably Shane Duffy. Shane also, Duffy. I would assume. Comeback player of the year. Tariq Lamptey. All right. All right. Interesting choices. Quick answers, though. I'll give yeah. that. You really <laughs> like that. that all. You think uh, – here's a one for you. If Brighton are able to finish, let's just say <clears> – <throat> I know you said the top ten is the target, right? And this mm-hmm. is a highly debated topic that we've talked about also on other podcasts for, like, Coach of the Year and things like that. Let's say they're able to get to that European Conference League spot. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has a legitimate shot at that point, Coach of the Year? Absolutely. I think that – he already has an argument because mm-hmm. he has kept Brighton in the league well past our sell by date. Mm-hmm. And obviously Chris Hewton had a couple of years there and, and he deserves all the praise in the world. I can't imagine where we would be without having him on board. When I became a fan, mm-hmm. he was, you know, we were about to get relegated to league one. So, you know, Chris Hewton, even though he got let go by us, love him. Graham Potter has elevated us to the next level. Mm-hmm. And if he can get us, even sniffing the conversation of Europe, I can't even imagine what anybody's argument would be other than like, you know, if, if Brentford somehow win, win the title, then, you know, <laughs> then maybe, maybe Brentford then, but if we finish second, then I still think Grand Potter has a leg up on Thomas Frank. So. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, the whole relegation battle uh, and he, he, should, he deserves it there. Mike has a really big man crush on Son, on Son Deitch. And uh, everything, oh, yeah. every year, how he pulls Burnley out of the hat, too. He, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a magician. Just, he's literally a I, magician. I, <laughs> I, I love, I love I to hate him. Oh, my God. He's just – it. I, they're, they're so exhausting, I swear. <laughs> every single year. And you know they're not going down. So when we're down there with them, it's like, okay, so Burnley's not going down. So who, who can we drag down below us? Because it's not going to be them. <laughs> That's funny. I like it. I like it. What, um, where can people find out more about you, Paul? So we are on Twitter at BHAFC stateside. And we're also on Instagram, same handle also on Facebook at stateside seagulls. Um, we do have a membership link. It's going to be in our, um, descriptions on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all that, but it's statesideseagulls.com slash join. If you want to join, become a member of stateside seagulls. We're, uh, kind of beginning our growth, we've been kind of just a social media powerhouse for the past few years, but we're trying to make that a little bit more formal. So we've got nice. a lot of, a lot of exciting things going on in the background, but you know, it's obviously just, you know, a bunch of seagulls gifts on Twitter during match days. So for those anyone you- listening, I'll put that in the, uh, that's going to be in the comment section on YouTube, Twitter, 
Spotify, Apple, wherever we can put it. So just take a look at the videos and the comment section and you'll be able to find the link right to them. I was going to say, I've, not to give away your location too much, but broadly speaking, when I come to Baltimore at some point in time, I'm going to have to get, go to McGurk's with you if that's where you guys actually go for yeah. uh, game day and at least do a little bit of a car bomb in the beginning just to watch a Brighton game. So if anyone listening is in Baltimore, definitely, obviously hit up Paul, go to some of these early morning games. So yeah, awesome. definitely, definitely. Stress out with me about Neil Mopay missing an open goal. <laughs> You're not alone on that one. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode, guys, at Sunday League Screamers Podcast. Like, comment, and hit the bell to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, and wherever else you guys get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, SLScreamers underscore pod, for daily tweets and updates about the show, world football. I'm your host, Steve McCutcheon, with Michael Nolan and Vito Anazelli and Paul Dorsey signing off. Thanks, Paul. Later. Thanks, Paul.